This is episode number 262, How to Stay Safe During Outdoor Adventures with Adventure Smarts Executive Director, Sandra Riches. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. A lot of us have super easy access to awesome terrain. It's just out the door. It's out the door for me today. I'm sure it's out the door for you there. It's, It's easy to get to. And that gives us a false sense of security. And that false sense of security, or just plain security, confidence gives us that opportunity to go out for a ride on our on our own and do that because we know or we think that we're close to our family residence areas help if you will and and so it's easy to do that right but ideally our ideal message is that you have at least one other person i always say three three's big in what we talk about for many reasons but we you know three is nice so let's say you and i and another person are out riding i get hurt you can help me and the third person can take care of communications, go get help if necessary, if it's in, if we're in a situation where that can be had. And so then we're all taken care of, right? And, and it's really helpful versus alone. I'm doing really great right now because my parents are here visiting for a month. And that means that my dad has hung up all the pictures in our house that we moved into a couple of months ago. So it's starting to look a little bit more lived in. And my mom is having the best time ever with her grandson, Bradley. We're also starting the process of finding some regular childcare for Bradley, something that we wanted to do a long time ago, but didn't because of the pandemic. So I'm really looking forward to that and getting a little bit more balance with the mom versus the business person versus the athlete. I've also noticed a big uptick in newsletter subscriptions. That is at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter, where every Monday I work hard on an article about motivation, mindset, and goal setting to help you get a little bit farther in your day and to help you feel more happy and fulfilled in your life. And sometimes all it takes is just a small perspective shift to get there. So if you want to check that out, that's at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. So let's get into today's episode. It's all about having fun in the outdoors, but how to stay safe while doing so. And that is something that we often take for granted to just hop out on the trail, go for a quick ride, or maybe an adventure, whether it be camping or skiing or hiking or running. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you enjoy outdoor adventures. It only takes the blink of an eye to get into trouble, unfortunately. And while that doesn't happen very often, it's good to be prepared for that. And I admit I've been in situations where I've gotten lost. (laughs) I was in Moab and got lost. There's been situations where I've had to help others who were in emergency situations out on the trail. So just having a general knowledge of what you need to do, what you need to carry, and also how you can improve. Like there are ways that I'm going to be improving my backcountry safety knowledge after this podcast. So staying informed, aware, and safe when enjoying nature is key. And that's where Adventure Smart comes in. Adventure Smart is a national program in Canada dedicated to encouraging Canadians and its visitors to get informed and go outdoors. And it offers educational programs, community outreach, and special events to help reduce the number and severity of search and rescue incidents in the country. And if you're not Canadian, there will still be a ton of valuable information in this episode for you, no matter where you're playing. 
During this week's podcast, I sat down with Adventure Smarts Executive Director Sandra Riches to talk about Adventure Smarts' work and the work of the BC Search and Rescue Association. We discussed how to plan a trip, the essentials that you need, and how to reach out to search and rescue. A lot of times we're unsure when, when or if we should reach out or we minimize the severity of our situation, and then we try to fix it, and that's where things get into trouble. We also talked about things like wildlife, which is a common concern amongst mountain bikers, especially if you're coming to Canada, because we do have a lot of wildlife roaming around on the trails. We talked about fire safety because that is a hot topic. Unfortunately, I didn't mean for that pun to come out, but it is a hot topic. And knowing what to do if a fire sparks in the area that you're adventuring. We also talked about group dynamics because there might be someone in the group who doesn't have the same safety knowledge or preparation as you do. And we also talked about trip planning. And a lot of times we just head out. We don't tell people where we're going. And if something were to happen to us, that could be bad. So make sure that you listen to this episode. I think you're going to get some really great takeaways that just could save your life or even somebody else's. And now I just want to give a shout out to Inside Tracker, who is our podcast sponsor. And they are a company that empowers you to take your health and performance to the next level. A lot of times we outsource our health to doctors or thinking we can take a pill or a supplement to make everything better. And while there are times where you actually need to do that, our daily habits and our daily actions are what contribute to our overall picture of health. But how do you know where you're at? Inside Tracker has an incredible algorithm that takes your blood work with over 30 biomarkers and helps you optimize your body using science and technology so that you can make these changes. And this is ultra personalized. A lot of times if you go to your doctor and get a, bl- a blood workup, whether it be just a complete blood count or measuring some of these other biomarkers, you don't get a personalized way of improving them. You just get the numbers and you see if you're within the range or out of the range. And Inside Tracker takes into account all the things that you're already doing and helps you optimize them so that you can be better. This is something I've been doing since 2017 and having that in my back pocket and having a number of tests that I can keep referring to and seeing if what I'm doing is helping is so key. So whether you're feeling sluggish and you don't know why, or you just want to get 1% better, go to insidetracker.com slash Sonia to get 25% off your next test. And that's insidetracker.com slash Sonia. A number of you have reached out to me about Inside Tracker, and I'm so glad that you are trying it out and seeing results. And with that, let's get into today's episode with Sandra Riches from AdventureSmart. Sandra, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sonia, for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, it was pretty fun. We got to meet a couple years ago at a Whistler, I think it was a tourism symposium. And it was the first time I had heard of AdventureSmart. Yeah, I was excited to be there. That was uh, here in Whistler, I believe, that we met for the first time. And it was the mountain bike symposium that happens every few years. And and I was excited to talk to mountain bikers about Adventure Smart because not everybody knows about it in general, let alone that specific user group. So it was pretty cool to kind of touch base with some people I know and meet people like you that are new. So for people that aren't familiar, what is Adventure Smart and how did it start? Adventure Smart is a awareness program. And we increase public's awareness to help reduce the number and severity of search and rescue calls. Uh, And the whole focus behind the program when it started 17 years ago was to help really focus on outdoor enthusiasts' um, decision-making 
more than anything and kind of either remind people what they should do before they go out and what to do in an emergency or introduce this this behavior to new people introducing themselves to outdoor recreation or starting up a new activity. And the whole idea is so that they plan, have the right training, get their gear ready and go out there and have a good time. You know, our tagline is get informed and go outdoors. We're not here to stop you. We're here to educate you and give you that knowledge, which gives you power and safety, really. And, and so the program was started by the BC Search and Rescue Association, which is a board of directors uh, of us who support the 79 search and rescue groups in BC, who consist of now 3,000 volunteers in the province of BC. And the program uh, was created by them. Based on that provincial success, it went national right across the country in 2009. So it's in every province and territory in Canada right now. Wow, that's a huge um, undertaking. And I'm sure at the start, you weren't expecting it to take off that fast. (laughs) No, and I've been with it fortunately and happily and passionately since the beginning. So 17 years plus here, I've been with the program. And no, we had ideas and, and came up with some initiatives in the early years, if it was ambassadorship programs or expanding it to the school system, working with partners like tourism and such. So we had some great ideas, but we didn't realize what it would flourish to and, and that it would take some time over the 17 years to build up those relationships, build up public's awareness that we're even here, that we are a resource, a tool, if you will, and that we're free of charge. We Everything we offer is free, no, no matter who wants it, no matter if it's industry or public. So we've loved the growth we've had and the growth we're having and the, the different paths that we can take it to really make it expand even further. Yeah. So most people listening do a lot of different things outside, whether it be, you know, cycling and mountain biking to camping, to skiing in the winter, to, you know, taking your kids outside and doing things. And a lot of us just got started because we like the outdoors. You, you just head out the door with your shoes, or your bike, and you don't really think too much about it because you're like, well, I'm not that far away. And, you know, I could just call somebody or I could just run into somebody on the trail. Someone will find me. And that future planning and future thinking about, you know, not not necessarily planning and thinking about the worst case scenario, but just being prepared for that is not something that's on most people's minds. Most people are thinking about backcountry safety when they're doing like, hopefully like a huge backpacking trip or something that's going to be super remote. But we also have to be safe just outside of our door because anything can happen. So like, what's a good place to start when it comes to awareness and safety when you're going outside? And you hit the nail on the head, Sonia, like we're talking to all user groups, right? Not just those of us who love to mountain bike. It's 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 all user groups. We want them to do the same thing because the whole idea is that you go out there, have a good time. But before you go, there's a few things you need to do to check off your list. And we've made it really simple and digestible. So we talk a lot about the three T's. Uh, we, we really want to make it easy for you to understand because we have a lot of information to share with you. But if you can remember the three T's, it will get you on the right path. And And it'll give you a model that you can set actions to that make it easy. So the first one is trip planning. And it it talks about, you know, it's no different than planning to go to the grocery store and making your list of what you need to toss in the fridge. You need to plan for your adventure with where you're going to go, who you're going to go with, the route travel, the weather that might impact you or add advantage to you, the gear you'll need, the skills you'll need. So that takes some time. And a lot of us love that phase of the three T's. We love thinking about where we're going to go, who we're going to go with. Am I going to phone up Sonia to go on this mountain bike ride? Or am I going to phone up some other groups or, you know, thinking about group dynamics. So trip planning, the first T takes a little bit. We want you to make that plan. And then after you've made that plan, which could take guidebooks, research on the computer, using your phone, 
mentorship, friends, park systems. It's full of great things to find information. Then you need to file that trip plan. We made that easy. Adventure Smart has a trip plan app and it's free of charge and it can allow you to enter all of this information into the fields and send it off to an emergency contact. Then they have all this information in case something goes sideways. That's a whole other conversation about the responsibilities of an emergency contact. So for the first T, trip planning. The second T is training, which you do a heck of a lot of in many forms. And some of us do it in different forms for the activities that we like to do for recreation. And that's what we're trying to impress on the the general outdoor enthusiast is that you do need to train. Even if it's just keeping physically fit. I also talk about mental wellness and stability. So that needs to be trained as well to have the mindset to get yourself through maybe a tricky climb on your bike or a challenging part of the hike, but also to give you that steady decision-making in a, in a situation that is an emergency. So training can be certification-based. Uh, it could be riding with you to get uh, some great ideas and ideas on how to get down a pitch or whatever. It can be so many things, first aid, wilderness first aid, avalanche safety skills in the winter, communication skills, rescue, taking one of our programs is training. Uh, and then the third T is taking those essentials with you. So those of us who ride, we take gear, we wear gear, and that's for just our general maintenance or to protect our knees and elbows and head. Uh, and that's, we have a basic kit and that goes for hiking, biking, paddling, climbing. There's a basic essential kit. That's all listed at adventuresmart.ca. And then of course you need to add to that though. It doesn't stop there. Add season and sports specific gear. If it's tools, different gear for you, maybe medication that some of us might need to take with us. Maybe eyeglasses. I need to ride now with my glasses so that when I come out to look at my phone for something, I can read it. So there's different things that personally we would take. So trip planning, training, and taking those essentials are the three T's. Can you go over what's on that basic essential list? Yeah. And, and a lot of us know it and a lot of us already have it probably in our houses. So we've got food and water. And remember, these are your, your pieces of essentials that are for emergencies, right? So if we're riding, I've got my hydration pack that's going to sustain me for my ride. But I also have emergency water too. So there's food and water, extra clothing, hat, sunscreen, utility knife, multi-tool works really well. A first aid kit that matches your training and your abilities. So I can carry everything under the sun, but if I don't know how to use a splint or, or use the stuff in my kit, it's, it's pretty much useless. So that should match your training. Map and compass. You know, a lot of us rely on our phones now for so much and they are awesome, but old school probably won't fail you if you know how to use the map and compass together. So there's a piece that goes back to that training. And, and you know, that list expands on then based on my season and my sport. Of course, I add extra pieces, but those are a few of the essentials that you take with you. And again, those are all for those emergencies, right? So that when, when something goes down and it goes sideways, you have those rations to get you through. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of people don't carry most of that stuff because they're like, well, you know, I don't need to carry all of this and it's too much weight and I want to be minimalist. And they just, it's, it's not, it's not an emergency. Like you, you can't plan for an emergency. So how can people be more motivated or more conscientious about carrying all or some of these items? Yeah. And I see it on the trails a lot too. I, 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 I love to get outside as much as I can in all different means and all seasons. So I, I see a lot of prepared people and I see a lot of unprepared people and I see a lot of 
unaware people and they're they're different all three of those are completely different we can talk about the unaware if you like in a in a sec but you know getting into that habit really in that you always wear wear your fanny or your pack to ride let's talk about that for a sec and and knowing that you've got your essentials with you and that that's just a habit that you do you don't leave without it right maybe on a hot day you you're just going to wear the fanny but it's got your essentials in there and it's got your shelter and your food and your water and and for those what ifs and we kind of do need to think about those what ifs. If we go back to the first T, which is trip planning, thinking of my group dynamics and is everybody at the same level or not? Do we all ride the same trails or not? You know, we're all carrying those safety gear, pieces of gear. And, and in case you go left on one at one junction and I go right and I get separated from you and now I'm lost, I've got my gear on me not just a tube and a, and a patch kit that's duct taped to my frame. I've got more than that. Right. So uh, it's important. And I think, you know, we knew when we started the program that this would take time for people to create a habit that's habitual. It has to be, I'm not even going to have to think about it. I, I relate it to um, just because it's easy to think about seatbelts. When some of us were young, I know my mom tells a story when she brought me home from the hospital when I was a baby, she, you know, dad was driving a red, really cool convertible and mom's holding me in her arms in the front seat. They're not wearing seatbelts and I'm in her arms. And you and I know as mothers that that wouldn't even be considered now. And it's just habit to get in and put our kids in, in car seats if we've got little ones and everybody just habitually puts that seatbelt on. So I would love to think that in, in time, and it is, is taking time that people are always going out with those kits ready to roll. And it's always packed. Mine's always at the door in the mudroom, ready to go. And it's put on and it just adjusted for seasons. So creating those habits is what we're trying to get to. to. And I know a lot of enthusiasts, backcountry trail runners are a good group to focus on for a sec because they love to travel so light, right? Like the lighter, the better. Now they've got these awesome vests that they can actually tuck in pretty much all the essentials in a roundabout way, right? They've got some gel packs or some water in there. They've got a shelter uh, comes in a little foil bag. We give them away for free when you guys see us and shelter meaning like an emergency, like space blanket. Exactly. Exactly. It can really get you through a, a pickle. And it's also a signaling device to wave in the air. If you need to uh, alert helicopter or aircraft, but it can wrap you up like a great burrito and, and keep some heat in. So there's ways to, to travel light but efficient and still carry it all. You just have to be a really efficient packer. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like habits, making sure it's a habit is consistency and making it as easy as possible. So keeping it already in your pack. And I like using a hydration vest and I just always keep the same stuff in there. And like you said, when the season changes, like I might not be carrying a full on raincoat in the summer, but in any other season that's coming with me on every single ride because I've definitely been in situations where I have been very happy that I had that and it could have gotten really bad if I didn't. Oh, we've all been grateful for that piece somewhere, somehow, no matter if you're just stuck for an hour or two, or if you have to help somebody else, like it may not always be us, right? Maybe we come around a corner and someone's totally wiped out on the trail. We need to give them a hand. There's lots of testimonials about that. If it's a communications piece that was able to alert search and rescue through 911 because the subject didn't have it, but the, the passerby did, or you know, order extra food and water and, and shelter or someone who just knows how to manage all of that and, and kind of take control of that situation. And hopefully that's us in our situation with our group. Yeah. And it, it is habit. You're right. It's, it's in there. 
freshen up the food and water every once in a while and make sure that that's good to go. Otherwise, everything stays in, really. And you mentioned carrying a first aid kit that meets your ability level, just like you wouldn't carry every single bike tool. If you don't know how to use the bike tool, why would you carry that? So what's kind of like a basic first aid kit that people should be carrying? Because I'll, I'll call myself out. I was doing a review video on what's in my pack. And I realized at the end, like, wow, I don't have my first aid kit in here anymore. Oh, my gosh. And and so, you know, Sonia, it really, like I've said, it matches whatever training you've had. So I know there's some out there that have extensive first aid training, <laughs> but they're not carrying everything out there with them. But their kit's way more advanced than mine, right? And and for lack of what's actually in it, you know, we really just want to focus on not that list of the first aid kit per se, but that we really want you to take that training so that you you know what to do in the situation. And, and I always love going back to the wilderness first aid course because it allows you to improvise and use what's in the forest. If it's moss for a cold pack, if it's some really strong bows to make a stretcher you know if it's your if it's your extra jacket now that is part of the stretcher or you know all these extra tips that will really make that situation better for you and allow you to manage and assess your situation and take care of your subject and be ready to transfer over either to search and rescue or bc ambulance and if you're that equipped that helps your friend who's just been injured you're able to assist them, you're able to communicate. And the whole point behind that is that if you remember, the main reason we created Adventure Smart to begin with was to reduce the number and severity of search and rescue calls. So if the severity of a call is is less, that's success. That's big success. So if a call takes, let's say it takes four hours instead of eight, or it's completed within a daylight, versus them having to go back out the next day and having a subject or subjects, the group having to spend the night outdoors, that takes it to another level on preparation and weather conditions, mental wellness, safety. So if we can reduce the severity, that's huge success for search and rescue. So, you know, we have a lot of calls every year for search and rescue and the numbers continue to rise for many reasons. That equation is expansive, but if we can, really wrap our heads around public, wrap our heads around reducing the severity of a call because accidents are going to happen because more people keep playing outside. So that, of course, that ratio is there. But so if we can reduce the severity, it's a win. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned earlier, like group dynamics and the different types of people in the group and the unaware was one of the ones that you brought up. Can you talk about the unaware person who might be in your group? Yeah, so it, it, we've all got friends that, you know, they hear us say, they, oh, Sandra, you ride all the time, or Sonia, you ride all the time, I'd love to come for a ride. And you're like, yeah, sure, no problem. And then as a group, then, based on everyone's different abilities, if let's say this is a new person that's decided to join us, or you or myself, there needs to be a little bit of a friendly chat there. And it can be super casual. It's like, oh, so what, what did you ride this summer? Or where did you go? Or when's the last time you were on your bike? Like, <laughs> You know, you don't really need to sit down and have this checklist and say, okay, so how's your cardio? What's your heart rate? I'm not, I'm not going to go there. But I want to make sure that it's going to be fun for them and me. I want to make sure it's going to be safe. Having that chat, and it can be easily done, especially if you know your friends. I have a couple of girls that we ride with, and we, we know each other really well, like 25 years plus friends. I know what they ride. They know what I ride when we're apart. We know what we can ride together. We know how to communicate really well. We know how to set ourselves up in case that we know how to chat on the trail, but pre, pre-event, for those who are unaware, it's really helpful for them to be 
chatting with someone who is experienced and they can gain that. There's mentorship right there, maybe without even knowing what's happening and having that. But to even have that discussion before you head out for your activity is something that I don't know that every group has, no matter the user group. But that's something we also encourage in our programs and our messaging is that have that conversation and take the time. Because I think to me, having that conversation and figuring out who's going to ride, hike, bike, paddle, climb, whatever. Okay, good. We've got our group of five or six, let's say. Now we can plan our trip based on that, right? Based on the abilities of everyone who's in there versus let's plan to ride trail XYZ up in the caribou and now pick our people. Yeah, I can work, but really start at the beginning. Start with the people. Start with who's going to go, who's, who's, who's able, and who is unaware. And maybe your trip will change based on that. It probably, it probably will, and it should. It should be indicative of the abilities of the group. Yeah. And I also think talking about how the ride is going to go, because I can't tell you how many times I've seen people riding, quote, together. But there's like one person that's minutes ahead of somebody else. And there's all these turns that person could have taken or maybe they could have crashed off the side on a highly exposed trail. So like if you're going to be riding with somebody, you know, potentially actually riding with them instead of way in front of them or and agreeing to a pace that you're going to be going so that it's safer, because that's like if you're especially if you're taking somebody out who's less capable than you or less fit, like that person might need your help much sooner than you realize when you realize they're, they've been gone for the last 10 minutes. Well, it's a, it's a solid point, Sonia. And, and it happens. I, I, you can't place enough weight on that word with let's ride together. We're going to be, you know, <laughs> we're all here to, in this together. And yet, instead of waiting at two junctions ahead for the people that are six or seven, eight minutes behind, it's, it's no fun for either. It's, 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 you know, the one ahead's like, oh, I'm waiting. And the one behind is like, oh, as soon as I get here, they're going to take off again. It's like, you know, so yeah. And, and I describe the unaware it's a polite term and it's a description for any user group. They are unaware of what's needed to be done prior to the activity, during, in an emergency, unaware of what to bring, unaware of the terrain they're about to go into. I remember years ago, I used to go hiking a lot before my niece decided that I should ride instead. And so this woman came out for a hike and she was, it was her first time, obviously, and she was baffled at the effort she had to place at looking down to the trail to look for the roots to step over to have the right footing. And I and I used to be a park ranger. I was a park ranger for years. And sometimes you just don't even think about certain things of an activity that are just habit to you. And it's just part of what you do if it's riding or biking or paddling. But to someone who comes in and who they are unaware, that took effort for her. She said that was draining. She said it was, she, she really didn't think she'd have to think about where her foot was going to go. And twisted ankles is one of the top reasons we have search and rescue in the province. So, you know, it, it, it all ties in together. Yeah. And just, it's crazy, the neurological and mental fatigue that happens if you're just not used to it. And I, I've certainly experienced that on my mountain bike, especially, you know, I used to live in the interior in BC and going even from there to like North Vancouver or Squamish or Whistler is just the, the level of mental demand is so much higher because the trails are just have constant things coming at you. So, you know, whether somebody is racing and they're interested in coming and doing one of these races in BC or just coming up on a ride trip, like just maybe considering that you might not be able to go for as long or as as many days in a row because your brain might get tired. I love it. 
it's it's kind of what I speak to about that training piece. And I talk about it in our Survive Outside program. We get into some more detail in it is having that physical training, but mental stability and, and, and the demand it takes on us, right? And so we think about that when we're exerting energy just to get up a hill or reach a summit or get to wherever we're going. That takes mental strength as well. It's not just physical. My legs are screaming, but it takes my mind to tell my legs to keep going. You know, it's, it's a full body. And to have that awareness and that, that strength in your mind is key. It's critical. So that's for the activity. So imagine what happens now in an emergency. And maybe our mind now has anxiety, stress, worry, fear. But we're asking you to be calculated, strategic, a smart decision maker, apply your skills. So, you know, we, we recognize that you will feel, feel th- those other feelings, anxiety, fear, scarce, but then come to terms with that and take the minute or two or five or 10 and hopefully remember either the presentation you heard from us or the podcast that we're chatting about today and think about, okay, now what do I do? And, you know, we, we talk about creating habits and, and making this habitual we deliver our hug a tree and survive programs to little kids. And the idea is that if we can get the message to young little adventurers quickly, kindergarten to grade six, this program is geared towards, and they grow up with that message. And we talk about those fears that they might have if they're separated from their family, if they went out for a camping trip and they wandered away from camp or on a hike, they went one way and parents went the other, just it happens. So if we can build their confidence at a young age, and then they also receive our message either at a ski hill or through one of our webinars or check out our, our social as they get older or we come to their high school or they see us anywhere along the way at trailheads. So hopefully they see us a few times by the time they each reach their early 20s. Hopefully this becomes a habit over time, right? That, that's the plan anyway. What are some of the tips that you give in these presentations for mental skills and for staying calm in an emergency? We use the stop analogy and it's really simple. So we, we try to keep things short and sweet and, and, and three T's, which we talked about is easy to digest and stop is the same way. And we get into that in detail. So stop, of course we need you to stop. So let's say there's an emergency, you realize you're lost, disoriented, injured, and, and you need help. Stop moving is critical. So many people continue to move around or think they should follow different paths to get through areas, you just need to stay still. If, if SAR could tell you one thing, that's one of the top three things. So, and then we jump into the T of stop. And now we want you to think, think about where you are. Are there any hazards in the general area? Is it safe to be where you are? And think about what your steps are next and what you might have in your pack to, to use for safety and start thinking of the processes you might have to put in place. So you're stopping, you're thinking, Now you're going to observe, you're going to observe, does your friend need first aid? Do you need to pull that kid out of your pack and start applying? Are they thirsty? Are they hungry? Do you need to put a cold pack on that twisted ankle? So start thinking about your subject, your situation, your emergency, and how you're going to communicate with search and rescue. So do you have an in-reach, a spot, a Zolio? Do you just have your cell phone? Do you have reception? Did you file a trip plan? Does someone even know where you are? Yes, yes, and yes would be the answers to all these because you've done it all well before, right? And then the last part of that is P, so we want you to plan. Now you get to plan and go into action and put all of this into place. Create that shelter. Make yourself that space to be in until search and rescue find you. 
don't go down a drainage, don't go down a creek, don't go down a natural draw. These are attractive spaces to go in. Subjects psychologically think that will take them to safety. They think it'll take them to a road, to a village, to a, a forest service road, to whatever. And it more than not gets them into trouble or turns fatal. It actually does. Uh, statistics have proven that. So staying put is critical. So stop, stop, think, observe, plan, and then you can go into action. And my question is like, how do you know when it's actually an emergency? Because a lot of times we'll get turned around or a little bit lost and then we'll just try and backtrack and we actually find our way back most of the time. And, you know, we think, well, this doesn't seem like I need to call search and rescue. Like that seems extreme. So and and, and people just won't do it because of that. So how, how does somebody know when they're actually lost and or there's an emergency where they need to call search and rescue? Yeah, it's, it's a question that has a few pieces to it. And it's it's an important one. So you know, if you think you need help, twisted ankle, you can't walk out any further. Absolutely. You're completely lost and disoriented. After you've maybe gone through your check group with your friends, like, does anyone else have a map and compass? Oh, yeah, Sonia's got one. Do you know how to use it? Yeah, no problem. Let's figure it out. Maybe we just got turned around. And you can get us back on track. Maybe we just left the trail markers on that trail. And we were able to take a couple minutes, like you said, assess at the spot. If there's no injury, of course, if there's no one in need of immediate medical care, if you can figure out that situation, then that goes back to the training piece and having the map and compass that you've got with you, knowing the terrain that you're in, and maybe you can just reset yourself. So there's three top reasons that we have search and rescue in BC that continue over and over and over again. And one of those top three is lost and disoriented. And so if you can mitigate that, mitigate the risks of that and manage it through your training and knowing how to use a paper map and a compass together, you can get yourself out of that situation. So if that's a situation where you're like, gosh, oh, should we call you? You can mitigate that, right? And reduce the severity of that situation. And if you can be successful in that, then you've completely avoided having to call. But if, if you're completely lost, you're confused, someone's hurt, nightfall's coming, weather's a factor. It could be the heat lately. It could be fires. It could be weather conditions, rain, snow, cold, avalanche. Think all seasons, right? I know a lot of us ride year round and, and just think where we are. And so you'll know when it's an emergency. And I think the biggest point to this piece that we're talking about is that if you think it is, call as soon as possible. Don't try to get out if you don't know how to reorientate yourself. Call as soon as possible. Search and rescue want you to phone sooner than later. They would rather be on their way to help you and be stood down or have the call called off than have you wait. It just delays the time for them to muster and get together and gather and figure out their resources and realize when it's safe that they can go in to get you. That takes time. It takes. It could take hours, right? So you have to be prepared for that. So the sooner you can call, the better. Ideally, all of this can happen within daylight as well. Most calls do come in late in the day. People are tired, they're hurt, the sun's setting. The sooner you can call, the better. Yeah, and a theme I keep hearing is doing things in a group, but many people go riding on their bikes or trail running or whatever they're doing by themselves. Is that something that's not recommended? And is there a different or different protocol to do that? Yeah, I, you know what I think there's a lot behind that. I think where we all live, let's say in BC, South Coast, Interior, where a lot of us have 
super easy access to awesome terrain. It's just out the door. It's out the door for me today. I'm sure it's out the door for you there. It's, it's easy to get to. And that gives us a false sense of security. And that false sense of security, or just plain security, confidence, gives us that opportunity to go out for a ride on our, on our own and do that because we know or we think that we're close to our family residence areas, help, if you will. And, and so it's easy to do that, right? ideally our ideal message is that you have at least one other person i always say three three's big in what we talk about for many reasons but we you know three is nice so let's say you and i and another person are out riding i get hurt you can help me and the third person can take care of communications go get help if necessary if it's in, if we're in a situation where that could be had and so then we're all taken care of right and and it's really helpful versus alone I fall, get to do a good endo. I need help. I'm by myself. My legs bleeding, little concussion, cracked ribs. I'm alone. The only thing that would benefit me there, because I know I personally and my our team here can't stop people from going out alone, and they will continually, is just make sure that you've got that trip plan process in place and that you filed it with an emergency contact. So you've set that communication piece in play. So that if that situation happens where I fall in concussion, ribs, whatever, someone knows where I am. Someone knows the trail I'm on. Someone knows the time I was supposed to be back by. And now I'm not because I've hurt myself. And maybe in the whole scheme of things, my phone got crashed on a rock and now I can't communicate. So at least someone knows where I am. I'm not back, back by five. My emergency contact now has been alerted by the Adventure Smart app. And now my emergency contact knows what to do because we had that chat before I left where they just know because I use the same one a lot and they know to call 911. They know to ask for police. Police will ask for search and rescue. And then all of that trip plan is handed over to SAR. SAR knows where I am and off we go. So if and when people head out on their own, which they will, which ideally we'd like them to be in a group, at least make sure you have your comms thing in place, your trip plan sorted and use the app. It's really super handy and it's free. Yeah, there's a couple other safety protocols that are available too, like with the some of the cycling computers offer live tracking. And I don't know if it's using satellite or cell service for these things, but it'll show you somebody exactly where you are. I know that Strava has something that does that as well. But I keep also hearing that relying solely on your phone is not a good idea because you could break it, you could have no cell service, your battery could die. And we all are very reliant on our phones. We'll say, I'll just check trail forks. And, I'll, and I, I mean, I admit that I do this. I'll just check trail forks and I'll figure out how to get back. But that probably isn't the best idea. No. And I have to say, we've all done that. <laughs> I think we've all <laughs> gone to that that route and it's and it's got us out of that situation at the time, right? But it's uh, it, it's key. The, the communications piece is key. And, and you don't have to, it's not rocket science to figure out how to use these devices. And I believe they've they've come so far that goes back to our second T, which is training. So have the piece, have the device that you're going to use if it's Zolio inReach um, spot and just know what it does. Understand the features that you've just purchased. What does it cost you monthly, annually? What does it do? Is it two-way comms? Does it connect to your phone? Do you just get to text with your phone? Because I know Zolio's got that great feature. Can you message? Is it just a one-way SOS? I need help and that's it. Like really understand what that device does for you. But like you said, Sonia, the, the biggest key is to make sure that you have it and, of course, know how to use it. But 
don't rely solely on, on our phones that we all will take. I guarantee you we're all going to take it. Uh, so when you do, because you will. Hopefully you're taking at least a phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. And it can prove super successful, right? In, in some spots, it's, it's how they communicate through SAR. They're texting back and forth. I'm lost. And they're like, okay, tell us a feature that's near you. Oh, there's a waterfall. There's a big rock with some graffiti on it. Oh, yeah, we know what that is. We'll be there in 20. Like, it can be that efficient or it can be not helpful at all because it doesn't work for whatever reasons, like you listed, reception, broken, whatever. So travel with it either off to save the battery or put it on airplane mode for same reasons so that you can save that because you're probably going to want to take pictures or if it does reach out to 911, you're good to go. Uh, if you can communicate with SAR, you have it. If, if, if. There's lots of ifs there, but don't rely on it. I, I you know, you're going to take it, but just know you should have another piece and the other piece is your primary piece. This is, this is definitely secondary. Yeah, and another thing people can do this is what I do if it's like a really long adventure is I'll actually bring a spare battery if I need to charge my phone or my GPS device. Cause, or, or you can carry GPS devices. Like if you're doing a multi-day like backpacking trip or bikepacking trip, some of them take actually, they don't, they, they're not lithium ion. They take like double A, triple A batteries. But what about winter adventures where the cold affects battery life on all or some of these devices? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the extra battery piece. So that's good. An extra battery pack or two depending on how long your adventure is. And then if we think about winter in the cold, weather affects our gear, no matter what it is. It affects my fingers, for one. There's <laughs> 10 pieces of gear right there. It affects drastically now. Just too much exposure, but it, it affects our phones as well, right? And having that, for those of us who ski or do any backcountry touring or snowmobiling, having it as close to your body as possible will keep that generated with the heat, right? Because they'll just suck the battery life when it's cold. You barely take it out to do something in the winter and you're like, whoa, where did that 20% go or 30% it's gone? So, or it can shut them right down. And it's even the heat. I know a lot of us lately have, have been uh, noticing that, you know, if you're doing a, a video like this in the car or something, and next thing you know, if you're on your phone, the heat's been just knocking the phones down. So the weather will play a role and just note note that that's the case and having those extra pieces those extra battery packs again they're secondary pieces of communication they're not primary yeah something that's on my mind a lot is fire and even when i didn't live in bc like I, when i lived in colorado fire was a big thing and i would think to myself what would happen if a fire started next to me what would i do and i still don't know the answer to that so what what do you do if there's a fire <laughs> on the yeah, trail we've We've had a few posts lately actually about that because it's so prevalent right now in the province. It's it's really crazy what we're in right now. And and how does that affect us with recreation? So if I'm heading into area, I need to be, as a mountain biker, acutely aware of my exit plan. So this goes back to the trip planning phase, right? So we this isn't last minute thinking. I'm not heading out for a ride and just going to casually not think of anything. I'm going to plan it. Either it's really quick because I've done the trail before. I know the conditions. I checked the BC wildfire dashboard. Uh, I know where I can go. I know where I shouldn't go. I know where I won't go out of respect for everything that's going on. Uh, so being acutely aware of my exit plan, no matter the season, but right now, especially because of all the wildfires. So you're probably, hopefully, going to choose not to go into some areas of our province right now because of the state we're in. Um, also being cognizant of uh, the expansion of that wildfire. We've seen the winds kick up lately and just uniquely to the, the weather right now. And some areas have just been changed overnight in, in where maybe we could have gone uh, last week. Definitely can't go today. 
So being acutely aware of that expansion and how quickly that can happen. If I'm backcountry camping, going out for a ride, overnight, whatever it is, being being aware of that. We can't nonchalantly right now head into areas where we know there's um, either states of emergency and, and or wildfire exposure potentially. And I think this one other piece here is huge. Um, a couple of them is knowing what that air quality can do to affect us with our health, our mental state. I just did some stuff a little bit in North Van a few days ago. And, and just when it came into the South Coast, I'm not comparing it to anything that's happening in the interior, but just that immediate effect of it on my my throat and my lungs and headache. And so understanding what that would do to your physical abilities, which affects your mental. And then a really important piece is if you're in these areas where these wildfires are and you're recreating, there might be a really challenging situation for search and rescue to get to you if you have an emergency. So now if I've had an accident and I'm on my bike and now I need search and rescue, that wildfire in the weather right now may be a factor in if they can reach me and make it difficult for SAR to reach me. It might not be safe for search and rescue to come into the area that I chose to go into or anyone. So now it's not safe for SAR to come in. So SAR, when they do any assessment and head out on a call through all of their training, uh, is is their safety is first. So they're not coming into an area after they've assessed access, safety for them, uh, uh, their abilities in conjunction with the situation and the scenario. Only when it's safe for them do they come in. So that's part of the whole scene. Or the improbability of SAR even getting to you at all right now because of fires. So it's it's a it's a huge factor right now that we need to take into consideration where we're recreating, when we're recreating there, you know, and it boils down to sound judgment and ultimately knowing when to turn around or just not even go and save it for a whole other day, another week, and maybe at the rate we're going, maybe another season. I'm so glad that you brought up the air quality piece because I used to do this like when I was a lot younger. It's like I see bad air quality. I'd be like, whatever, I'm young, I'm fit. I'm just going to go anyway. And you're breathing in this particulate matter that causes permanent damage to your lungs. And a lot of times you might not even feel it. And that literally causes permanent damage. And it's not worth it. You could you could do indoor training. You could just take the day off. And big picture thinking in this case is so incredibly important. And I think that there's a lot of people that aren't even aware of this because like we have family members that they're going out like they they even have like asthma and they're going out, you know, doing activities when I I'm a professional athlete and I'm not out there training. And it's just a lack of awareness around that. It is. You know what? I think some of it, so many of us are used to getting up and doing some exercise, getting it in, needing to get it in physically for physical means, but also for a mental wellness and or training, whatever it is. Um, recreational or professional, and it's it's what we do, right? So for us to take time off or to rejig that is not as easy for some as it is for others, and and they just go anyway. We've all seen it. we've seen it, right? And like you said, you don't always feel that. I felt it a few days ago. I was like, this doesn't even feel right. Let alone in areas where you don't sense it, and you just keep going. You go for that run, or you go for that ride because you want to, or you made the plans weeks ago to go with your friends, and now it's the time's come. Also, we've been all pent up for like a year and a half, at least, right? Pandemic is part of this equation right now. And people want to go to the interior for holiday. They want to go for a ride with their friends wherever, caribou, interior, Kootenays, because we've been itching to do this. And then we get let free a little bit and we want to go. And now we have the fires as part of the equation. 
we can't dismiss it. You know, maybe we need to all check in on our patients and, and, uh, and our own unselfish, is that right? Behavior. It's so that we can respect the wildfire crews. We can respect search and rescue, emergency operations center officers. Like there's so many people trying to take care of our province right now. My bike ride does not trump that. And I need to be so empathetic and considerate of not just the 3,000 search and rescue volunteers who donate over 430,000 hours of their time a year to responding to calls, training, outdoor education. They walk house to house and give out uh, wildfire evacuation alerts and notices in addition to search and rescue. You know, I'm, I'm cognizant of them and, and everyone else who's in the system right now trying to fight these fires. And I hope other outdoor recreationalists are doing the same. Mm-hmm. There's something we haven't actually touched on that is a huge concern for a lot of people. It's something that probably won't happen, but if it does, it's not going to be good. And that's uh, interacting with wildlife. And depending on where you live, like some people listening live in highly populated areas where they probably won't ever see a bear or a mountain lion or anything like that. But there's also a lot of places where you could come into contact with, you know, a black bear, a grizzly bear, a mountain lion, a bobcat. What are the what's the advice that Adventure Smart has around these wildlife situations? Yeah, that's a great question. And for anyone who's coming to BC from outside Canada, let's say, and, <laughs> and this is new to them or <laughs> exciting to them. And it is to us, even though we get to see it maybe more than some others do. And we're we're in their regions, in their homes, right? In the wildlife, we're in the bear's house, really. I'm riding my bike in Pemberton, uh, which is just past Whistler, for those who don't know. And, and I'm in bear country, as we are in the Kootenays, as we are in so many parts of our province. So being aware of where we're recreating and the exposures to what's there. So respect for the land, of course, indigenous lands and understanding what's available there and how we can be cognizant of that, but be respectful of wildlife. And, 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 you know, these trails go through some awesome terrain, come around the corner, there's a black bear or grizzly bear, depending on where you are in Canada, and understanding what you need to do to avoid that conflict initially, but what to do in that situation at adventuresmart.ca on our website, we do have a wildlife page and it's got some great basic awareness information, you know, making noise, being loud in the areas that you're riding. You know, I don't always talk when I'm riding, but it's good to have that voice association for the wildlife to understand that that's what we are for lack of them knowing who we are, what we are. You know, I, I, I choose voice over bell that's just me. And, and it's also supported through the um, Wildlife BC is also another excellent resource in the province that visitors to Canada can check out before they get here and adventuresmart.ca. Same, making yourself aware of the situation and, and either the terrain that you're in, some really tight, forested, dense forest where it's hard for us to pick out wildlife, but they might spot us easily and coming around corners that are not easily spotted to certain junctions, right? You know, we've all been in forests where we ride where we can see far away and kind of assess, but we've also been in forests where it's very dense and I'm taking a corner and the bear could be right there. And I don't know until I get around the corner. Same, I was riding in Pemberton and just accessing the trails. I was close to the ditch, the grasses were high and a mama bear came out, decided to bark and growl and um, bluff charge me on my bike on the road scared me half to death and then her cubs are right behind her so just being that acutely aware of where you're riding in the situations you're in that could happen like I'm you know you get scared you think about it a little bit more 
And so knowing that in certain situations where I'm cognizant of, of um, they could be right around the corner, you know, and I also carry, uh, you know, bear spray, um, a bear horn, a very loud air horn, I should say. And, and I've used that hiking with girlfriends. There was a stubborn bear in North Vancouver a few years ago. And we ran into it and five or six of us as a group, we talked about group dynamics. We, I love that scene. I didn't love that the bear was coming towards us, but we all knew what to do as a group of friends. You know, there was eight or nine of us and, and all of us went into action without even saying anything to each other. It was really um, comforting after to talk about it. We were also proud of each other as a group and what we did. Automatically, air horns were going. Some had rocks in their hands. People were clapping. We got together. We made ourselves visually look bigger than us as individuals. We came together. Our packs were above our heads. Like we just went into action, which was very, very cool. Yeah, I like that you gave um, those tips of what to actually do when you see a bear. And also nobody ran away screaming. <laughs> nobody ran away screaming. We knew we knew we had to communicate. And, and I've done some Instagram live chats with some really great subject matter experts. And one of them is Ellie Lamb. And, and she's a great subject matter expert about, about bear awareness and, and done lots of tours up in Bella Coola and an excellent resource. Anyway, one of the big things I got from chatting with Ellie was that we need to communicate with the bears. Our responsibility as humans is to communicate with them. Definitely not to run. It's definitely to communicate and make that conversation as, because that's what the bear's doing with you. The bear's having a conversation. So if it stands up and is, is, is looking around, it's trying to smell, it's, it's, it's assessing the situation. It's trying to figure out what you are, who you are. If it starts to clap its teeth, it's communicating with you. If it's uh, bluff, if it bluff charges you, like that one that came out at me in Pemberton, she's communicating with me. So there's many signs that they give you before things get really bad. So we also need to communicate back to them. And that's prior to an encounter. That's during an encounter. And hopefully to avoid it altogether. So that communication piece is critical. Yeah. And something that I've seen people do, which is just baffles me that people would do this is like, I, I actually was riding up the trail and there was a mama bear and some cubs. So I, of course I backed away and just was going to replan my route. And there was another guy coming up the trail. And I said, just so you know, there's a mama bear and cubs right up there. And instead of turning around, he just kept going. <laughs> I know. And so many do. Right. And they, you know, they get comfortable in the situation that they're in and they're like, oh, I've ridden here before. This is my hometown. I've been on this trail a thousand times. OK, I'm good to go. You know. Yeah. And what can you do in that situation? You know, you, 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 you politely tried to let them know what was going down, but um, people will make their own decisions. You know, it, it happens all the time. And, and it can kind of come back to what we do here. Sonia, we we educate thousands of people a year with our message and millions if you will over the 17 years we've been around and we continue to share this message over and over and over but people will still make the decisions to do what they're going to do either prepared or not and or start to evolve with their preparation which is good to see as well and and expose their friends and family to it but every year in British Columbia there's over 1900 search and rescue calls just in the province of BC. And so accidents continue to happen. Uh, during COVID, we saw a 30% increase uh, summer 2020. We saw another 30% increase winter, summer, winter 2020, 2021. 
So that's a solid increase in two seasons that were primarily for people who live in British Columbia because we weren't allowed to travel during the pandemic, were we? So we know that people got outside, but our public officials were encouraging us to. So that, that makes sense. We knew it was a safer space to be in. But what we also saw was those 30% increases and, and, you know, 1,900 calls a year is a lot. It's more than anywhere else in the country, to be honest. And that's, it's one of the reasons Adventure Smart was created 17 years ago. Yeah. And this is such a great resource, like whether you live in BC or not, just to raise your awareness. Because the reason why a lot of those calls were made is just lack of awareness, lack of preparation. It doesn't take much time or effort to do it. And it could literally save your life or somebody else's life. And this is not a normal like topic for the podcast, but I thought this is such an important thing to to put out there because even if you think you know everything, there's still things that you don't know. And constantly upping your training, which is something I need to take more personal responsibility for. Um, and hopefully the listeners feel the same way. Like it, it's just it's just so important. And if we're gonna be playing in the outdoors, we need to be thinking about all aspects of what that means, not just, hey, this is really fun. <laughs> And that's a big part of it. That's, and that's the way a lot of us do it, right? But it, it's, it's if we can think about there's when things go sideways, there's more people involved in the equation. It's not just us anymore. And that's search and rescue. So we need to ha- know how to communicate with them. So we can communicate with the bears. We need to communicate with search and rescue in our group. And, and we know based on data-driven insights, which is what steers our messaging, uh, you know, we know the call volume based on start search and rescue summaries and stats. We know the top three reasons for search and rescue are injury lost and disoriented, and exceeding abilities. And that applies to all user groups. So if you're a mountain biker, those are the top three. If you're a hiker, definitely. Sledder, yeah, same thing. So if you think about those three things, so if I'm injured, how do I mitigate that? First aid, group dynamics, risk assessment, mitigation. Lost and disoriented, disated, lost and disoriented, how do I mitigate that? Map and compass, training, navigation, communications. Exceeding abilities, that's a tricky one because that comes down to individual decisions in our head. I know I'm going to do this roll or drop maybe, and I'll take different parts of that decision into my equation than you based on our abilities, right? So hopefully we both do it calculated based on what I can do versus what you. You might do it and I'm not going to do it for (laughs) for obvious reasons, but a, a process goes on in each of our heads on how we're going to do it or not. Maybe I take the chicken run. Maybe I don't. Maybe I do different things about it. But, you know, if, if the public can think about the top three reasons they're search and rescue and think about how those three things can be addressed by them, they will hugely help our system. They will hugely help those 1900 calls and they, they can easily make a difference by by really focusing on that. And we focus on that in our social media posts. We stick to data. We share stats with you. We let you know that hikers are the biggest user group in the summertime that needs search and rescue. They're a huge, massive user group. And in the South Coast, we know the wintertime, it's sledders and backcountry skiers and the East Kootenays. And that affects Revelstoke search and rescue. So I can pin this based on that data. And then I can educate based on that data. So it, it I love it. It excites me to use that data. And it helps us create special projects, special messaging work with you and do something like this on the podcast. Uh, Mountain bikers are the second user group in the summertime that uh, ask for the services of search and rescue. And, you know, it it goes back to those three top causations. And I, I would consider to bet my millions that I don't have that (laughs) a lot of it would be in and around that decision-making piece. 
because it's not a lot of mountain bikers that are getting lost. Um, definitely injured. And I attributed that to some of the exceeding abilities. We all like to try things, push our limits. That's how we learn. But again, those are three top causations and we can pin it. So we can think about those as well as riders ourselves. Yeah. And there's one little piece I want to add to the exceeding abilities. Your abilities one day might be really different than your abilities another day because of all the different factors that affect our ability to ride our bikes well. And a lot of times people will push themselves because they've ridden something 50 times on day 51. They're not feeling it, but they say, well, I've ridden it this many times. I'm just going to do it. That's when an injury happens. Or if you're riding in a group and there's the pressure of a group and everybody but you has done it and you don't want to walk it, that's another place where injury happens. And I'll be the example. Like There's days where I've walked things that I can ride with my eyes closed on another day. And it's just that's where I am that day. And it's meeting yourself with self-compassion and or if you're in a group, like I was out riding with a friend and she rode, she, we, we, she rode something and I didn't. And there's no shame in that. And that's where that mental skills piece comes in. And that that piece of just like being OK with who you are and where you are for a bigger picture reason, not just ego. So that, that could be really hard to do. But just respecting where you're at on that day, it, that's probably one of the hardest things and probably one of the biggest reasons people get hurt. Yeah, you couldn't have said it better at all. It, it, that was perfectly said. And I don't think a lot of us as mountain bikers or hikers or climbers often go to that place within our own minds to think to that level. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't know if everybody does. And that's part of what we're trying to get people to do as well in the pre-planning and their decision making, then what to do in an emergency, but also that check-in and that peer pressure. You said so much in your piece and and it's it's a biggie and and it's so true. You know, I was talking the other day about physical fitness and how I feel like I'm a good space for me right about now until about end of September is when I'm at my peak, if you will, for physical fitness, for riding, for cardio, for my, for my confidence. And all of this ties in. And this is when I'm feeling really good on my bike. And, you know, and then it changes based on my physical fitness. If that starts to wane because it starts to downpour for three months, then I'm not out as much or something changes, trail conditions change, access, time, work, whatever. So that's a big part is in your mind. Are you confident to ride what you did last week or last year? And yeah, I've done the same thing. I've pushed myself a few times at this time of year, two years in a row on Labor Day weekend, went out for a ride with the same girl and wiped out bad both times. I'm confident. I feel strong. I, yeah, I can do it. No problem. Sarah, hang on. Whoa, I'm down. I'm out. So that can play a role for sure. And, and knowing when to check in on that and just not do it. The trail's there the next day. Mm -hmm. And you want to be there to ride it. <laughs> and you want to be there to ride it. And we talk about reaching our destinations or peaks or summits or, or rivers or rides or trails or regions, you know, and we talk about reaching, reaching our destination. I always like to remind everybody that our destination is home. No matter where we're going, that peak, that summit, that, that area is only halfway. You still need to turn around and get back to your destination, which is home with your family and friends. I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Um, where can people find all of these amazing resources so that they continue to work on their education and safety when they're outside? Nationally and internationally, you can check it out. AdventureSmart.ca is, is a Canadian website where we have everything housed there from our programs, which we have five, uh, a little kids one that I talked about. We've got four others, Survive Outside programs, Snow Safety, 
Paddle Smart, CoSmart. So adventuresmart.ca is everywhere you can get the basic information on three T's, access to the app and our programs, which are face-to-face free or virtual free. Provincially in BC, we've got a very active and we're the most productive active program in Canada. We're financially supported by BC Soros. So myself and my crew do this full time. It's our jobs. And so everywhere else is done on a volunteer basis. So provincially for BC Adventure Smart, we've got BC Adventure Smart Instagram, active, excellent information and, and conversations, BC Adventure Smart Twitter and BC Adventure Smart Facebook. And those where we have regular trip plan Tuesday posts where we're telling you stats about user group, uh, those three causations, how you can mitigate when we've got special events coming up, trailhead outreach, ski hill events. So adventuresmart.ca and BC Adventure Smart, literally look up BC Adventure Smart on the socials. And that's where you could find those uh, resources. And we're here to help you anytime. All right. Well, thanks for sharing a lot of gems of information and potentially things that are going to save people's lives. Thanks, Sonia. I appreciate you helping us increase awareness for this user group and everyone else who might uh, tune in. Thanks. I hope you guys loved that episode and took away some key tips to help keep you and your friends safe in the backcountry. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share the show with your friends as that is the best way to help this show reach others, to help them be better every day too. So grateful for you. So grateful that you are a part of my community. I can't stress that enough. And I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. 